Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you that we can worship you, and I thank you that we have a few moments to reflect on your word and of what you would have us to be thinking about during this time of Earth's history. So give me the words to speak now that will be helpful and guide us to a closer understanding of what you are doing for us right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in case you haven't heard, there's an election coming up. And according to my calendar, I think we're 24 days away now. So it's getting close. November 8, 2016, Americans will go to the polls throughout this country and vote for the President of the United States. Interestingly, an article came out this week in the Washington Post uh, entitled, uh, People are so stressed by this election that the American Psychological Association has coping tips. And in August, it says the American Psychological Association included a question in its annual Stress in America survey about this election. It released the results of that particular query on Thursday, and it found that more than half of U.S. adults, regardless of party, felt very or somewhat stressed by the election. More than half of U.S. adults, regardless of party, felt very or somewhat stressed by the election. And it said, not surprisingly, adults who use social media were more likely than those who don't to say the election was stressing them out. And the article goes on to say a number of other things. But when you look at where we are as a country, and by the way, let me make it very clear today, and you can see from the title, the title of the message is Jesus for President. I am not here today to tell you who to vote for president, okay? So if you were thinking I might say something along those lines, you're going to be disappointed. I am not here today to tell you who to vote for president. I will say this, though. If out of all the 300-plus million Americans that comes down to these two individuals, this tells us where we are as a country but just before Jesus comes back. So I'm not taking sides. I just say that if this is the best we can do, what does that say about us as a nation? Please don't tell me that Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton are going to save our country or make it better. We need to be looking for a better leader and a better cause to fight for. And I want you to go back to our scripture reading for today, John chapter 18, verse 36. John chapter 18, verse 36. And this is Jesus speaking when he is on trial. John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence or not from here. Jesus, who is the creator of this world, lived in this world, and while he was present in this world, he is the king of the universe. And yet he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants 
would fight. I want to read to you a statement from Desire of Ages, page 509. Today in the religious world, there are multitudes who, as they believe, are working for the establishment of the kingdom of Christ as an earthly and temporal dominion. They desire to make our Lord the ruler of the kingdoms of this world, the ruler in its courts and camps, its legislative halls, its palaces and marketplaces. They expect him, Christ, to rule through legal enactments enforced by human authority. Since Christ is not now here in person, they themselves will undertake to act in his stead, to execute the laws of his kingdom. The establishment, now listen to this. You think you're doing a good work for God. See, I'm doing God's will through the legislative bodies, but notice what we read here. The establishment of such a kingdom is what the Jews desired in the days of Christ. They would have received Jesus had he been willing to establish a temporal dominion to enforce what they regarded as the laws of God and to make them the expositors of his will and the agents of his authority. Now, here's one of the things that makes America the special nation that, has, that it has always been. Until recently, we see a muddying of the waters. But America has been a great nation because of the separation of church and state. And as we see the, the waters of the separation of, of church and state being muddied, we start to see attitudes of the people of our country mirroring the attitudes of the Jews of old. Ellen White goes on then to say, but Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And she says he would not accept the earthly throne. Now the next paragraph in Desire of Ages is very interesting to me. The government under which Jesus lived was corrupt and oppressive. Now, certainly we could make a litany of lists of things in our government today that are corrupt and oppressive. Not just one thing. We could list who knows how many things off the top of our head. She says, the government under which Jesus lived was corrupt and oppressive. On every hand were crying abuses, extortion, intolerance, and grinding cruelty. Yet, the Savior attempted no civil reforms. You know, Jesus had better things to focus on than trying to play politics with the Jewish nation or with the Romans. He attacked no national abuses, nor condemned the national enemies. He did not interfere with the authority or administration of those in power. He who was our example kept aloof from earthly governments. So if Jesus is our example and he kept aloof from earthly governments, then what are we doing thinking that a particular candidate is going to save our country? Not because he was indifferent to the woes of men, but because the remedy did not lie in merely human and external measures. To be efficient, the cure must reach men individually and must regenerate the heart. Not by the decisions of courts or councils or legislative assemblies, not by the patronage of worldly great men is the kingdom of Christ established, but by the implanting of Christ's nature in humanity through the work of the Holy Spirit. That is how 
Christ establishes his kingdom. It's by allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts so that we become representatives of the kingdom that God is trying to set up. Now, let me also be clear. We see in Daniel chapter 2.21 that God sets up kings and takes them down. Now, the context of that verse is clearly delineating the kingdoms of the world that would come from Babylon to the end of the world. But certainly God has his hand over every nation and over every kingdom and over who happens to be the ruler, whether it's a president or a prime minister or a king or a queen, whatever it may be, God allows for that particular individual to be put into that position and he will take them away according to his will and we have to trust in that. God sets kings up and takes them down. But the question for us today is what kingdom are we striving to be part of? Are we looking to see America continue the way it has been to be a prosperous nation so that we can live the good life here and now and enjoy the fruits of being in the most prosperous nation on earth? Or are we seeking a better kingdom and a better country with a better leader where God will take sin away from the universe? In Hebrews chapter 11, we read a thoughtful passage about the heroes of faith. And we pick it up in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Friends, if we are truly on our way to heaven, we will truly be strangers and pilgrims. Now, that doesn't mean we'll be strange, but we'll be strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So if you happen to be someone who feels like you don't really identify with anybody who's running for president, that's a good sign. We are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. What country do you desire? What country are you seeking after? You know, it's easy, despite the fact that we know that we are seeking a heavenly country, to get caught up in the tempest of the current world that we live in. Ellen White has a couple of other statements that she makes here that we're going to look at now. This is Review and Herald, June 21, 1898. We read, Christianity... How many there are who do not know what it is? It is not something put on the outside. It is a life inwrought with the life of Jesus. It means that we are wearing the robe of Christ's righteousness. In regard to the world, Christians will say we will not dabble in politics. They will say decidedly, we are pilgrims and strangers. Our citizenship is above. They will not be seen choosing company for amusement. They will say we have ceased to be infatuated by childish things. And I'm sorry, if you watch the campaign, it's 
pretty childish. We are strangers and pilgrims looking for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Then the next paragraph, the Lord has been greatly dishonored by his people catching up the issues that arise in this time of test and trial. His people are to keep free from politics. They are to stand as a separate and peculiar people. The name of God, our ruler, is to be in their foreheads, showing to all that he is their sovereign. Is the name of God seen in your life to be your ruler? Can it be said of us that God is our sovereign leader? Then Gospel Workers, page 391. There are among those professing to believe present truth, some who will thus be stirred up to express their sentiments and political preferences so that division will be brought into the church. Now, seriously, friends, we're seeking the heavenly kingdom, right? Do we really want to be divided about politics? The Lord would have his people bury political questions. On these themes, silence is eloquence. Christ calls upon his followers to come into unity on the pure gospel principles which are plainly revealed in the word of God. And then here's the famous statement. We cannot with safety vote for political parties for we do not know whom we are voting for. Let me read that again. We cannot with safety vote for political parties for we do not know whom we are voting for. We cannot with safety take part in any political scheme. Now, the context then goes on to say, especially with respect to those who may be promoting Sunday worship. And then she goes on to say, the people of God are not to vote to place such men in office, those who would exalt the Sunday as Sabbath. For when they do this, they are partakers with them of the sins which they commit while in office. And then the next page. Those who are Christians indeed will be branches of the true vine and will bear the same fruit as the vine. They will act in harmony and Christian fellowship. They will not wear political badges, but the badge of Christ. What are we to do then? Let political questions alone. And then she quotes 2 Corinthians 6. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Now let me say this, and I've seen this throughout my life, and I've been one that, you know, watches the news and follows what's happening in the political world. But when we as God's people start to make excuses for our candidate of preference, preference when they are doing things that are clearly wrong, clearly immoral, whatever the case may be, you can know that you're starting to have fellowship with darkness. We as God's people have a better cause to fight for. And then the last quote that I'm going to read about politics at this moment is Gospel Workers, page 393. Those teachers in the church or in the school who distinguish them, themselves, who distinguish themselves by their zeal in politics should be relieved of their work and responsibilities without delay, for the Lord will not cooperate with them. That's a strong statement. If you're distinguished in the church for your zeal in politics, you're doing the wrong thing. The tithe should not be used to pay anyone for speechifying on political questions. 
Every teacher, minister, or leader in our ranks who is stirred with a desire to ventilate his opinions on political questions should be converted by a belief in the truth or give up his work. His influence must tell as a laborer with God and winning souls to Christ, or his credentials must be taken from him. If he does not change, he will do harm and only harm. Now, having said that, as Seventh-day Adventists, we have a prophetic understanding of what is coming upon this world. Do we not? We have an understanding from the books of Daniel and Revelation that eventually the kingdoms of this world will be struck by a stone as Daniel 2 describes, where that stone becomes a great mountain that fills up the earth and God sets up his kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. So we should ask ourselves the question, which kingdom are we more interested in? Is it the kingdom that we are living in right now that we are so wrapped up in? Or is it the kingdom that God is designing to set up that will never be destroyed? And there are some things that are going to happen in this world before Jesus comes back. And when we study the book of Revelation and we get to chapter 13, we see the two beasts. We see the first beast of Revelation, which comes up out of the sea, having seven heads and two horns. And it's a composite beast of a lion, bear, and a leopard. And it has a mouth speaking great things. The mouth is the mouth of the lion, and the lion represents Babylon. And if the mouth is speaking, it's coming from the mind of that lion. And the mind of the lion is the mind of Babylon. And so this lion, with a mouth speaking great things, the first beast of Revelation 13, represents the beast of Babylon, who Revelation 13 says the dragon or Satan gave his power, seat, and authority to. And then we see the second beast, the lamb-like beast. So you have one beast that speaks like a lion, who the dragon gave his power to. So we see Satan represented through that beast. And then we have a second beast that's a lamb-like beast, so it's like Christ initially, and it has two horns. And we understand that those two horns represent republicanism and Protestantism, or religious and civil liberty. And yet we understand that that second beast will speak like a dragon. And a nation, a beast represents a nation, a nation speaks through the laws in which it enacts. And there, are, there is a time coming when this nation that we love so greatly, and I believe that this could happen much sooner than some of us even realize, will speak like a dragon through the laws in which it enacts. That is the future of this nation that we are part of as it comes together with the first beast, the Babylon of Revelation, the Roman church state. That is what we have to look forward to. We have, so there, here's what I see. There are two major crises that are coming before Jesus comes back. There will be a crisis in the world, 
and there will also be a crisis in the church. So let's talk about this crisis in the world. Testimonies, volume 9, page 11. We are living in the time of the end. The fast fulfilling signs of the times declare that the coming of Christ is near at hand. The days in which we live are solemn and important. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarms of war are portentous. They forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to take place in our world, and the final movements will be rapid ones. Now, let me tell you my conviction, and I'm not making a prediction, this is just an impression or a conviction that I have. My conviction is that no matter who is elected president, they will be part of the agencies of evil that are combining their forces and consolidating so that these agencies will be strengthened for the last great crisis, no matter who is elected. We have reached a place in the history of America where we have stooped so low in our morality that no matter who becomes elected at this point, we will see things happen that will allow the forces of evil to consolidate for the last great crisis. And then there will be a swing back to the far right to say, it's time to get back to God. The judgments of God have been poured upon this nation because we've gone, gone so far away from him. And so no matter who becomes elected president, I believe that the morality of either one of them will probably lead us perhaps very soon to such an occurrence. But not only is there a crisis in the world before Jesus comes back, there is also going to be a crisis in the church of God, God's body, the body of Christ, before Jesus comes back. There is going to be a shaking. And in Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 205, Ellen White reports of a dream that she had shortly before I sent out the testimonies regarding the efforts of the enemy to undermine the foundation of our faith through the dissemination of seductive theories. Now she's speaking of the Alpha of Heresies with John Harvey Kellogg, for those of you who know the history, where he brought pantheism or spiritualism into the Adventist church, or attempted to. He was ultimately not successful at that time. She goes on to say, I had read an incident about a ship in a fog needing an iceberg. For several nights I slept but little. I seemed to be bowed down as a cart beneath sheaves. One night a scene was clearly presented before me. A vessel was upon the waters in a heavy fog. Suddenly the lookout cried, Iceberg just ahead. There towering high above the ship was a gigantic iceberg. An authoritative voice cried out, Meet it. There was not a moment's hesitation. It was time for instant action. The engineer put on full steam, and the man at the wheel steered the ship straight into the iceberg. You know, that's not the natural human inclination. You would try to avoid conflict if you can, but sometimes you just have to meet it head on. With a crash, she struck the ice. There was a fearful shock, and the iceberg broke into many pieces, falling with a noise like thunder to the deck, the passengers were violently shaken by the force of the collision, but no lives were lost. The vessel was injured, but not beyond repair. She rebounded from the contact, trembling from stem to stern, 
like a living creature. Then she moved forward on her way. Well, I knew the meaning of this representation. I had my orders. I had heard the words like a voice from our captain. Meet it. I knew what my duty was and that there was not a moment to lose. The time for decided action had come. I must, without delay, obey the command. Meet it. Now, friends, we are living at the time of Earth's history, just before Jesus comes back, where we as a church are going to be faced with a crisis where theories will come into the church church that will try to overrun and undermine the foundation pillars of Seventh-day Adventism. And the way to meet that crisis is not to try to go around it and to say, let's just make everyone happy and keep everyone on the ship. Friends, there is going to be a shaking. And we need to stand tall and true for the word of God and for the spirit of prophecy and for all the things that God has given to us as a church. Because this is the ship that will go through. Now, some people have a tendency to jump off the ship because they see the iceberg coming and they start to shake before the shaking even comes and they jump into the icy waters and there's no hope at that point. Stay on the ship of Adventism, friends. In closing, I want to take you to a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 19 starting in verse 12. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 12. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and a return. Now, if you've studied this parable, you will understand that the nobleman here is Jesus, who goes to heaven after his ascension, and he goes into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. Now, specifically, this portion of the parable is fulfilled when Jesus goes from the most holy place to the most holy... Let me say this again. When he goes from the holy place to the most holy place at the beginning of the investigative judgment. It's at the beginning of the investigative judgment that Christ goes to receive the kingdom. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, we've often interpreted this to say, well, we need to occupy till Jesus comes. And the way we occupy is by becoming so busy with the things of this world that we forget that Jesus has gone to heaven to receive the kingdom so that he can come back to give us that kingdom. And so we're so focused on the politics of the present time that we forget that occupy till I come does not mean be so consumed with politics that you're not doing the three angels' messages or giving the three angels' messages, living the three angels' messages, sharing the three angels' messages, announcing to the world that the hour of Christ's judgment is come. He has gone to receive the kingdom. He is the true leader. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Occupy till I come, doing the work of the three angels' messages. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Now notice it says his citizens hated him. It wasn't just the world. You know, Ellen White applies this verse to how the Pharisees treated Christ, but she also says that this was how Christ was treated in the person of his messengers when the Lord sent a message to this church in 1888. 
We will not have this man to reign over us. We're happy to have Jesus as the Savior of our lives. We're thankful that he died on the cross for us. But please don't tell me that Jesus is the Lord of my life to tell me how to live my life. We will not have this man reign over us. We might be living in the judgment hour of earth's history, but we don't want him to be the Lord of our lives. We want to live our lives the way we want to live. Jesus says, occupy till I come. And to occupy till I come means you are living a faithful life in the judgment hour of this earth's history. But sometimes we have a tendency to want a Jesus that suits our idea of who Jesus is rather than who the Jesus of Scripture is. And so we'll worship a Jesus that fits our taste and our liking. And as one of my friends told me one time, we've become Burger King Christians. I'll have it my way. Rather than having it God's way. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by tra trading. Now this is the investigation. He, the, the nobleman who is Christ investigates now, what have you done while you have occupied till I came? This is the investigation. And you see, there are some who were faithful, and there were some who were not faithful. I'm not going to read all the verses. But Jesus is the nobleman who has gone to receive the kingdom. And when we go back to the prophetic books, go to Daniel 7 as we wrap this up. Jesus has gone to receive the kingdom. But he is coming back. And when we get to Daniel chapter 7, verse 26, it says, But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion. Now, the dominion that's being taken away is that of the little horn, which is the same as the first beast of Revelation 13. But the judgment shall, shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That is a wonderful promise, that at the end of the judgment, those who have been faithful to God, we will be given the kingdom of the Most High. So let me tell you something. I understand that there may be preferences for who wins the election, and there might be two different preferences in the room. There probably is. You know what? Some of you might be disappointed with the outcome of the election on November 8th. But you know what? If you're looking for a better kingdom, then the outcome of November 8th really doesn't matter. Because whoever becomes the next president of the United States based on our understanding of prophecy, will just be one more person in a train of leaders that is going to lead this nation to a place of ruin where an image will be formed of the first beast of Revelation 13. And so we should not be putting our trust or our hope or our confidence in earthly leaders. We should be occupying till Christ comes by investing our life in the cause of the three angels' messages. 
because a day is coming, as Revelation 11:15 says, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Is Christ reigning in your life right now? Are you occupying till he comes or are you saying in your life, I will not have this man reign over me right now. I'm too focused on the good life. I'm proud to be an American. And hey, I'm I'm proud to be an American too. I'm proud to be an American. I'm enjoying what I have. I'm enjoying the good life, the prosperity, the things of this world. And I don't need the promises and the commands and whatever it is of scripture where Jesus says he's not only savior but he's lord of my life I don't need that in my life right now I'm going to live the way I want to live and when I finally get ready to want to be ready for Jesus to come then I'll let this man reign over me but not right now I hope that's not your experience I hope and pray that you are letting Jesus be your president no I'm not saying president of the United States but that Jesus is your Lord and that he reigns over you, that he is the leader that you follow, that, you're not, that your life is not dedicated to following the cause of a certain political party or a certain political cause or a certain political issue, whatever it may be, that your life is dedicated to following Jesus as the Lord of your life and he is reigning over you and that when he comes back and when he investigates in the judgment what your life has been like, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. That is the calling that Christ has given to each one of us. And by his grace, as Seventh-day Adventists, we don't have to be worried about what happens on November 8th. We'll watch with interest to see where the country's headed. But we will know that God is in control, that he sets kings up and takes them down, and that we are following a better leader, that we are headed to a better country. And our prayer is that Jesus will come very soon. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.